If you turn with me in the Word of God this evening to the book of Jeremiah, the prophecy of Jeremiah and chapter 14. Jeremiah chapter 14, and we will commence our reading at the opening verse of the chapter. Jeremiah chapter 14 and verse 1. Let us all hear the word of God. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. Judah mourneth, and the gates thereof languish. They are black unto the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem is gone up. And their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. Because the ground is chapped, for there was no rain in the earth, the plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yea, the hind also calved in the field and forsook it, because there was no grass. And the wild asses did stand in the high places, they snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. O the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land? And as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night, why shouldest thou be as a man astonished, as a man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us, and we are called by thy name. Leave us not. And then if you would go down to verse 19 in the chapter, we'll continue our reading there at verse 19. Hast thou utterly rejected Judah? Hast thy soul loathed Zion? Why hast thou smitten us? And there is no healing for us. We looked for peace, and there is no good. And for the time of healing, and behold trouble. We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness, and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. Do not abhor us for thy name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. Remember, break not thy covenant with us. Are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Art not thou he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait upon thee, for thou hast made all these things. Amen. And we know that the Lord will bless the reading of his word to us this evening. We'll be focusing our thoughts primarily upon verses 7 through to 9 of this chapter. It is a, a prayer of Jeremiah the prophets, a prayer looking for the Lord to work again in the land. Jeremiah says there, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. 
O the hope of Israel, the Savior, thereof in time of trouble, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Why shouldest thou be as a man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us, and we are called by thy name. Leave us not. Before we consider these words, let's once again pray before the Lord over his word. O God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee afresh for the public reading of Thy Word, and we thank Thee that Thou hast blessed even the reading of it to our souls. But now we come and we ask Thee to give help in the preaching of Thy Word, give ears to hear and hearts to understand. May Thy Word settle within our souls, and may it find a place within us. May it touch us, may we be stirred to pray for our land in these days, O Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning a conversation with someone is something which fills, I'm sure, some of us, if not many of us, with a sense of trepidation. Perhaps you've come across someone for the first time and your mind is rapidly thinking, what can I say? What can I bring to my mind to say to this person? And you spend a moment or two thinking about, what can I say? And after deliberation, you come up with this uh, new and novel and ingenious thing to say, uh, and you quickly blurt out, the weather's terrible, isn't it? And after all that thinking, all you can say is, well, the weather's not great. That's something I'm sure all of us are guilty of. We often like to talk about the weather in Northern Ireland. We like to complain about the weather. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too dry. It's too wet. It's too windy. There's not enough, well, I don't know if we ever complain about not enough wind, but we always complain about the weather. And yet we ought to understand that some of those things, indeed all of those things, are given by the Lord. We often complain about the rain. Oh, it's too wet. We can't do what we wanted to do and we can't get out and, oh, it's too wet and isn't this terrible? But we ought to remember rain is given by the Lord. It is a mercy of God to the land when rain is given. I'm sure those who like their gardens or those who do farming, they they will understand the necessity of rain. And whenever that rain is withheld, that's a great trial. It's a great challenge. And before us here in Jeremiah chapter 14, we find a, a land and a nation that is complaining and is languishing because of a lack of rain. Oh, how different that is to us. Here in Jeremiah 14, Judah is in the midst of a drought. There's been no rain in the land. Uh, And we see from verse 1 through to verse 6 a a description of of the dearth and the the devastation that has been caused by this lack of rain. If you look there in verse 2, we see that uh, the prophet describes the ground as being black. So dry and so hard is the ground, it's it's even lost its very color. In verse 4, it says, the ground is chapped. It's broken up. The surface is cracked. It's it's so dry and there's so little moisture that the ground is broken up. I'm sure we've all seen those pictures in the news. Those times in the summertime when there's been no rain and the ground is all cracked and it's barren. Well, that is the state of the land here in Jeremiah chapter 14. But why is this the case? 
Why has there been no rain? Why is the ground chapped and broken up? It's because God has withheld His favor from the land. You see, one of the covenant threatenings of God was drought. You know, we often like to think of the covenant promises of God, but whenever you read through the books of the Pentateuch, you will find also alongside the promises are the the covenant threatenings of God, those things which God says will happen when a land forsakes God. Drought was one of those promised threatenings. Judah at this time had forsaken the Lord, and therefore drought had fallen upon the land, and there'd been no rain. The land was barren. land was dry. Can we not liken that to our land today, spiritually speaking? A land that is barren, a land that has turned away from God, a land that has forsaken the Lord and His Word, and spiritually speaking today, it is dry. It is in the midst of a spiritual drought. And so we see here in Jeremiah 14 that seeing this devastation, seeing this drought, seeing this dearth, Jeremiah, in verse 7 to 9, he comes before the Lord and he beseeches the Lord to have mercy upon the land. He comes and he brings this great intercessory prayer on behalf of the nation, Lord, send us rain. Jeremiah is praying for the showers of blessing to fall. That is something that we ought to be doing as well. We often do here in this prayer meeting to ask for, Lord, rend the heavens and come down again. Pour out thy blessing upon us. And so here we see in in verse 7 through to 9 of this chapter, a prayer given for a dry land. That's simply what we want to think upon tonight, praying for a dry land. For we live in a land that is dry spiritually today. Let us consider firstly from these verses the disclosure made by the prophet. Because Jeremiah commences this prayer in verse 7 by disclosing certain facts. He opens up this prayer by acknowledging to God Almighty that Israel, that, or Judah, sorry, has sinned against the Lord. Look at verse 7. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, Do thou it for thy name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. Oh, see, here the prophet acknowledges, Lord, this is why the drought has come. It's because of the sin of the land. Lord, we deserve this punishment. Lord, we deserve uh, this withdrawal of thyself from us because we have transgressed thy law. But you notice how Jeremiah, he he doesn't say, oh Lord, it's the sin of the people. It's the sin of the ungodly. No, he he includes himself in this acknowledgement. Notice the use of those pronouns, our, our iniquities, our backslidings. We have sinned against thee. You see, Jeremiah, he includes himself in this prayer. He identifies himself with the people. He doesn't say, oh, it's only because of their sins, Lord. No, he he realizes, Lord, I am also unworthy of thy mercy and thy goodness. And you know, as the Lord's people, it's so easy for us to look outwardly, to look upon society and say, it's all because of their sin. 
It's all because of all these ungodly things that have been done in society. That is why God's blessing has been withdrawn. We can sit on our high horse, as it were, and look down and forget to look inwardly. Oh, Jeremiah acknowledges, Lord, I'm not worthy either of thy mercy. Oh, he demonstrates an understanding that he has also sinned and, and fallen short of God's standard. We are guilty of sin too, and we must never forget that, yes, we ought to pray for the sins of the nation. They are indeed many. As Jeremiah says, they are many backslidings. They have sinned grievous sins, but we mustn't forget that we also are undeserving of God's mercy. Or there are sins in our own lives, perhaps. Perhaps there's the sin of carelessness, the sin of coldness. Perhaps there's the sin of idolatry, and you might say that's a strange thing to say of God's people. But we can be guilty of such sins too, sins that we lambast the ungodly with, and yet we too can be guilty of these things. And confession of sin in this manner by including the prayer offer along with the, the ones who are being prayed for is a common theme throughout Scripture. We could think of Daniel's great prayer in Daniel chapter 9. He uses similar terminology and he says, we have sinned. Or you could think of Nehemiah's prayer whenever he hears the news of Jerusalem. He also says, we have sinned against thee. Or we could think of Ezra, in Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6, where Ezra says, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up into the heavens. See how Ezra, he said, our iniquities, our sins. Oh, may we not separate ourselves from the land today, but may we intercede on behalf of the land. But while we go, go back to our, our portion in Jeremiah and we see how Jeremiah includes himself, notice the, the totality of his disclosure of their sin because he uses three terms to describe the heinous nature of Judah's falling away from God. He first of all uses the word iniquities. Then he speaks of backslidings. And then he says, we have sinned against thee. And using all of those terms, he describes in a full sense the terrible nature of the spiritual dearth within the land. Oh, you see, he doesn't mince his words. He denounces sin for what sin is. So many today, they try to cover sin up, they try to gloss it up, and they try to say, it's not really that important. But the prophet here, he denounces sin as something that is terribly grievous against God. You see, he says that they had committed iniquities. That speaks of the vile nature of sin. Sin is something which is awful and vile in the sight of a holy God. Then he speaks of their backslidings. That speaks of their turning away from God. Then he says, we have sinned against thee. That speaks of missing the mark of God. And you see, whenever you add all of those terms up, it speaks of a land that had missed the mark by turning away and committing abominable acts. Well, can't we think of our own land today? How it's missed the mark by turning away from God. That has led to committing vile sins against the Lord. 
Jeremiah mentions that this sin was against the Lord. We have sinned against thee. He, he makes mention of the fact that it's against the Lord Himself that they had sinned. And we must ever keep that in our thoughts, that we have sinned against the holy and the righteous and the just God. You know, that's what makes sin so awful. It's against the one who is willing to bless, the one who is willing to be merciful, the one who is willing to pour His goodness out to us, and yet that is the very one who is sinned against. You see, the Lord had been willing to bless Judah. Had they obeyed Him, had they obeyed His Word, He would have sent the showers of blessing. But because they turned away, because they'd gone after their own thoughts, that was why the showers were withheld. And we see in verse 7, Jeremiah says, Our iniquities testify against us. Oh, he's saying there, Lord, our sins, our iniquities, there are so many. There are so many of them, they are piled up as evidence against us. O oh, Lord, Thy wrath and Thy judgment is fully deserved because do you not see all this evidence of sin in the land? Well, it's not hard for us to think of that here in Northern Ireland. All of the evidence stacked one on top of the other of all of the sin in this land. Well, God is only right to judge us for our sins. You know, Isaiah speaks very similarly in Isaiah 59 and verse 12. He says, For our transgressions are multiplied against thee, and our sins testify against us. They're almost like that, that accusation, that accusing document given to a court recording certain crimes of a criminal. They testify against us. And the sins of a nation withhold God's blessing from it. Isaiah says in Isaiah 59 verse 2, familiar words I'm sure, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you. And that is what Jeremiah and the nation of Judah were experiencing at this time. Their sins had hidden God's face from them. And so often do we not wonder why is God not moving in our land? Why is God not pouring blessing upon us? Why is the church not going from strength to strength and growing day by day? It's because our sins have hid His face from us. Our land is far from God. And so we see in Jeremiah's prayer that he discloses the sins of the nation. But secondly, we notice from his prayer the desire of the prophet. Because Jeremiah desired God's power and glory to be seen once again in the land. He says, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. Now, it's not explicitly stated there what, what the it is, but in the context, it is obvious that Jeremiah is praying for the rain to fall once again. He's saying, Lord, send us the rain. Is that not our prayer too today? Lord, do thou it. Let the showers fall. Let the rain come. And Jeremiah recognized and he understood this was not something any man could do. This was not something that could be concocted up by some vain pagan ritual, but only God alone could send the rain. For look at the very last verse of the chapter, 
verse 22. He says there, are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Art not thou he, O Lord our God? Therefore, we will wait upon thee, for thou hast made all these things. He says, are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles? Can any of the false gods of the heathen send rain? What a rhetorical question. He knows full well only God can send the rain. And this is true both physically and spiritually. Only God can send the showers of rain that fall upon the ground. But God alone can send the showers of blessing. We cannot send the showers ourselves. We cannot, by our, our work or our endeavors, we cannot bring God's blessing down. God is sovereign in all things. Therefore, we must do, as Jeremiah says in, in the last words of verse 22, therefore we will wait upon thee. We must wait for God to move. We must wait for him to send the blessing. God can send the showers of blessing. We can think of words like Ezekiel 34, verse 26. I will cause this shower to come down in his season. I oh, see, it's the Lord who sends the shower. And that's what Jeremiah was praying for. He was praying, Lord, send the rain. Send the showers upon our land. Lord, we need the rain to come down. Lord, our ground is barren and dry. There's dearth in the land. Lord, we need thee to move. Oh, we need the Lord to move today in our land as well. The ground is barren and dry, and barren it shall remain until we hear from the Lord the sound of abundance of rain. Oh, rain was what the land needed. And yes, Jeremiah prayed for that when he says, do thou that. But ultimately, when you look at that phrase, you see, what was Jeremiah's chief desire? Do thou it for thy name's sake. Ultimately, Jeremiah wanted God to be glorified. He saw the suffering in the land. He saw the dearth and the drought. And yes, he, he wanted the rain to follow to help the people. But primarily, ultimately, Jeremiah wished God to be glorified. Jeremiah had that longing, that desire, that yearning for all the people around to know that the Lord, he is God. Oh, he wanted God to be glorified, and that was the motivation behind his prayers. And that should always be our desire. That should always be our longing that God in all things would be glorified and honored. We often talk to young people, what is that first uh, answer to the shorter catechism? What is man's chief end? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We are to seek God's glory in all things. And therefore, that should be the same in our prayers. Pray for God's glory. Pray for God's honor. Or couldn't we think of the prophet Elijah up there in Mount Carmel? As he stood before that altar with the 450 prophets of Baal, and he prayed for God to send the fire down. What, what did he say? He said, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. Oh, he didn't say, Lord, send the fire down so that they'd see what a mighty man I am. 
He didn't say, Lord, send the fire so that, uh, well, uh, the people who follow thee, they'll be built up and they, they will feel so good for winning this victory over sin and the prophets of Baal. No, he says, do it for thy name's sake. Do it so the nation would know that thou art God. And therefore, we should pray that the Lord would bless us and, yes, bless this work here in Lisburn. Not so that we would be puffed up and built up in ourselves and think, aren't we doing a good job? But that God would be glorified. Pray that souls would be brought into this church and saved so that God would be glorified. Not that we would think, well, we're doing well and we're going to fill our new church building and there won't be enough space for them and won't we feel so good? No, we should desire for God's glory. Or the psalmist says in Psalm 115, verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Well, that was a thought that Jeremiah had in this prayer. He was thinking, Lord, not unto me, not unto thy people, but Lord, unto thee give glory. You know, Spurgeon, he once said that the pleading, the name, and the glory of God is the mightiest weapon in the armory of prayer. The greatest weapon in the armory of prayer is pleading for the glory of God. Oh, may our prayers be layered and covered in that thought. Pray, God, oh, we desire Thee to be glorified. Lord, we yearn for the people around Lisburn and Northern Ireland to know that Thou art God. Well, this was the desire that Jeremiah had upon his heart, and it continues throughout this chapter. It's not just found in verse 7, but if you look down to verse 21, you'll see he continues it in this second prayer. For in verse 21, he says, Do not abhor us for thy name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. See, Jeremiah, he had an eye on the glory of God. May we as God's people have our sights fixed upon that same aim. We see the desire of the prophet, but also thirdly we notice in verse 7 through to 9 the distress of the prophet. Because while Jeremiah was concerned that there was no rain and that there was suffering amongst the people and that God had not been glorified, yet he has concerns within himself because God had not yet moved. You see, there was no sign of God moving yet in the country. And this concerned Jeremiah. He worried that the people would think that God was not capable of helping And we see a a series of questions in verses 8 and 9 to this end. Jeremiah says in verse 8, O the hope of Israel, the Savior, thereof in time of trouble, why soudest thou be as a stranger in the land, and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Why shouldest thou be as a man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot save? And you see here, Jeremiah, he is distressed. He sees the dearth in the land, and he is concerned because God is not yet moving. If we look at that first question in in verse 8, we see there's one thought going through it, but there there are two parts to, to the question. 
And the first part, he says that, that God is like unto a stranger in the land. Has the thought of one who's a sojourner, one who isn't a native to the land, one who has come from a, a, another destination and is traveling through, and therefore he is one who really he doesn't have a concern or a burden for the place he is in, but he's traveling from A to B. And we see that in the second part where he says that the Lord is as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night. He's like that person on a journey who's just stopped overnight at a, a, a B&B. They're just stopping on their onward journey. They have no concern for, for their abode that night. It's, it's just a means to an end. And Jeremiah says, Lord, are you not concerned with this condition? Lord, are you not concerned at the condition of the land? Lord, it, it looks to the people around that you are unwilling to save. Or couldn't we think of the disciples on that boat in Galilee when they were in the midst of the storm and they were distressed and they said to the Savior, Master, carest thou not that we perish? But that same feeling is in the, the prophet Jeremiah. He's, he's saying, Lord, art thou not concerned? Lord, the people, they'll, they'll see you as, as one who is not willing to help as one who is not willing to deliver, as one who is not willing to send the rain. You see that phrase, a wayfaring man, it has the idea of one who is there briefly and then the next moment he's gone. And what Jeremiah is intimating is saying, Lord, we desire thy presence continually. We don't just want one who is there uh, for a moment, for a season, and then departs, but we want thee to be with us continually. Oh, may that be our prayer today. Lord, dwell with us continually. Lord, bless us continually. Lord, pour out thy blessings upon us continually. Don't be as a wayfaring man as one that is only here for a short time, but one that stays and abides with us. Well, Jeremiah was concerned. He was distressed that God would appear unwilling to save. But in verse 9, we see that Jeremiah was distressed that God would appear unable to save. Because he says there in verse 9, Why shouldest thou be as a man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot save? Now, in that language, he shows a concern that God would appear powerless because he isn't yet moving and working in the land that it would appear as if he was impotent, as if he couldn't send the rain. And Jeremiah, he's there for crying, Lord, do not wait any longer for their saying that you aren't able to help. The ungodly, they're circling around and they're making a mockery of thee. They look at thy work and they say, well, look at their God, what is he doing for them? Well, wouldn't it be terrible if the ungodly thought that today? Look how small those churches are. Look how few there are at their prayer meeting. Look at how little response there is in their evangelism. Oh, their God is not mighty. Their God is unable to save. Their God is unable to help. Oh, wouldn't it be terrible if that was the thoughts of the ungodly today? Well, that word on, uh, in verse 9, astonished, 
It has the thought of one who is astonished or surprised or so dumbfounded that they're unable to act. And therefore, Jeremiah is saying, Lord, do not be as one who is so astonished at the terrible state of the nation that you're not able to act. I'm sure there's times when we have felt like that ourselves. A certain situation has come across our ways and we've been so dumbfounded. We've been so uh, struck by that situation. We're stuck for words. We don't know what to do or say. And Jeremiah is saying, Lord, don't be as that one who doesn't know how to act or is unable to act. Well, he has a, a concern. He is distressed that the ungodly will see and that they will do dishonor to the name of the Lord. And throughout this prayer, we see Uh, There is a disclosure made by Jeremiah. There is the desire of Jeremiah and the distress of Jeremiah. But encouragingly, we see also the dependence of the prophet in these verses. Because although Jeremiah was one who was distressed by the sin, he was distressed by the drought and the dearth of the land, uh, uh, one who was concerned that God God's name was being dishonored by the heathen, yet we see throughout these verses a great dependence and confidence and conviction of the prophet that God was able to help. See how he commences this prayer in verse 7 with those simple words, O Lord. He commences with the name of the covenant-keeping God. He recognizes I am coming before one who keeps his promises made to his people. I am coming before one who is mighty and is able to help. I am coming before the one who has made the covenants. The one who has made all promises to us. The one in whom all his promises are yea and in him amen. And therefore he has this confidence and assurance that he can bring the need of the land before God and that the Lord will be able to help and to deliver. Then in verse 8 he goes on to give a, a further description of the Lord. and He says, O the hope of Israel, their Savior, they're off in time of trouble. Oh, he is the one they had hoped in in time past, the hope of Israel the one who had helped them before, the one who had blessed their land, the one who had sent the showers in years gone by, the one who had given them blessing, the hope of Israel. And really this is a phrase that has great hope and expectation behind it because it comes in after that verse in which he decries the sin of the land. Verse 7, he's saying, Lord, look at all of our sins. We have sinned against thee. And then verse 8, he says, yet thou art the hope of Israel. Despite all of our sins, Lord, despite uh, our undeservedness, yet we look to thee. And that's what we do this day. Oh, we don't deserve God's mercy or his help. Yet we look to the one in whom we hope. We hope in God. Oh, we come before one who is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The psalmist said in Psalm 130, verse 7, Let Israel hope in the Lord, 
For with the Lord there is mercy, mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. Oh, that is why we can hope in the Lord today. There is mercy to be found. There is plenteous redemption. There is hope for our land today. Though the sin is grievous, though the transgressions are many, yet there is plenteous redemption to be found in the Lord. Should this not encourage us tonight to pray for Lisburn, to pray for Northern Ireland, to pray for the United Kingdom, because there is plenteous redemption to be found in the Lord. But as we end, just look at those last words of verse 9. They show a great dependence, a great confidence by the prophet in the Lord. At the end of verse 9, he says, Lord, art thou as a mighty man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us. Well, see, the prophet, he, he feels the Lord's presence. He says, Lord, thou art near us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Lord, all these things are against us, but Lord, thou art mightier than they. Lord, thou art here and that to bless us. We know that thou art with thy people, and therefore we can come with confidence and assurance as we pray to the Lord. Oh, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with singing. You see, the Lord... Our God in the midst of us is mighty. That is the one we depend upon. That is the one to whom we come to pray this evening. That is the one in whom we have confidence. Though the ground is barren and dry, though spiritually speaking it might appear we are in a drought, though the land has turned away from God and the backslidings are many, yet the Lord our God in the midst of us is mighty. What encouragement is to be found in God's Word today? We can look round us so often and be discouraged and think the tide has gone out. The Lord is able. The Lord can turn our land once again to Himself. And therefore, let us remember these things as we come to our time of prayer in a few moments that the Lord is in the midst of us. And He is our hope, even as He was the prophet Jeremiah's.